Welcome to Then and Now, brought to you by the UCLA Luskin Center for History and Policy. We are dedicated to studying change in order to make change, linking knowledge of the past to the quest for a better future. Every week, we interview thought leaders, historians, researchers, and policymakers about what happened then and what that means for us now. Hello, I'm David Myers. I teach history in the UCLA History Department and serve as the director of the UCLA Luskin Center for History and Policy. And I'm very pleased to welcome to our inaugural episode of Then and Now, Zev Yaroslavsky. Zev is one of the most renowned and well-respected public officials in Los Angeles over the past half century. A native of Los Angeles, Zev received a bachelor's and master's degree at UCLA. And in 1975, he was elected at the age of 26 to the Los Angeles City Council, where he served for 19 years until 1994. In that year, he was elected to the LA County Board of Supervisors, where he served for 20 years until 2014. Over the course of his 40-year public service career, Zeb has been at the forefront of many of the major issues facing the city and county, including transportation, the environment, land use, healthcare, and cultural arts. He is now the director of the Los Angeles Initiative at the UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs, a lecturer in the Department of History, and a senior fellow of the Luskin Center for History and Policy. I'm very pleased to welcome you to this inaugural episode of Then and Now, Zeb. Welcome. A pleasure to be here, David. Thank you. Great. So, Zev, we're all consumed all the time by the COVID-19 crisis. From a policy perspective, one of the most notable features of today's crisis is the considerable role played by local and state governments in addressing the pandemic. Of course, there is the issue of the relationship between the federal government and state and local governments, but we noticed that some local and state officials have been more successful than, than others, both operating in their own domain and in relation to the federal government. We in Los Angeles and in the state of California have been blessed with proactive leadership. But at the county level, there's a brewing tension between the county supervisors and Sheriff Alex Villanueva that may have consequences for county's ability to respond to the crisis at hand. On Tuesday, March 31st, the supervisors voted to remove the sheriff as head of the county's emergency operations center. Why was this? Is this a further sign of the lack of confidence in the controversial new sheriff? Is it part of a larger struggle? Is there uh, a larger, a longer history to explore? To help us understand what's going on, we turn to Zeb Yaroslavsky as good a source of the affairs of the county past and present as any. So Zev, we're gonna start now with the then portion of our Then and Now podcast. Can you tell us a bit about the history of tensions between the county supervisors on one hand and the sheriff's office on the other? Well, first of all, uh, it's important to recognize where the powers of the sheriff uh, uh, derive, uh, derive from, and it, it, they derive from the state constitution. Uh, the, the state of California's constitution establishes that each of the 58 counties of California have an elected sheriff, uh, not an appointed one, but an elected one. So uh, whether it's uh, Los Angeles County with 10 and a half million people or Mono County where cows outnumber people 10 to one, uh, it's the same structure. You have an elected sheriff that goes back, I, I suspect, uh, to uh, English old uh, English days back uh, before, before uh, the settlers in uh, 
in, in America, and, uh, and it continues to this day. So that's number one. So you have an elected sheriff. He's one of the three uh, elected, uh, countywide elected officials uh, in California, and uh, we'll focus on Los Angeles. He's, you have a district attorney who's elected countywide. You have a county assessor uh, elected countywide, and you have the county sheriff. Uh, so the tensions historically between the Board of Supervisors, which is by law and by state constitution, the governing body of the county, and the sheriff, who is an elected official who derives his powers from the state constitution, and those powers are substantial, uh, there, there is this ambiguity or conflict, however you want to look at it, structurally. Uh, as, a, as a rule, uh, looking at Los Angeles County historically, there haven't been a whole lot of sheriffs in the last century. Uh, Sheriff Biscalouz, which goes back to the early part of the 1900s, early to mid part, he was a sheriff for uh, two or three decades. I don't recall exactly how much. Uh, Peter Pitches was the sheriff for 20 some odd years. Uh, Sherm Block was sheriff for almost an equal amount of time. And then Lee Baca, those are the four sheriffs that uh, pre predate your and my lifetime. Uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, and now we have a, a new sheriff, Alex Villanueva. Now, I was on the Board of Supervisors for 20 years. I can tell you that there were disputes between the county sheriff and, and, the, uh, and, and the Board of Supervisors over budgets, over whether the sheriff's department should absorb some of the cuts required during a recessionary period when county revenues are down, or whether they should be held, uh, held harmless. Uh, there's an issue about, you know, the the uh, w w the deployment of police officers or deputy sheriffs in various communities. How many de deputies are you deploying versus how many you know, captains and lieutenants and assistant sheriffs, etc. Those are those are the kind of typical disputes that you have, but they get resolved. Uh, I had my disputes with Sherman Block. He was the sheriff when I became a county sheriff and uh, a county supervisor. Uh, God help us if I had become the county sheriff and. Uh, uh, and Sherman and I, uh, you know, got along reasonably well, but we had times when there was a big scandal in the sh in the jails about how much money the sheriff was spending on buying food. They were buying uh, uh, chicken for the for the sheriff's department that was costing more than than my wife uh, paid for kosher chicken in uh, in the Fairfax neighborhood. And when she read the papers and she did the shopping in the household, and she saw what they were paying for for chicken by the pound, she said, this is ridiculous. I, I get it for half that price on Fairfax. And, and I realized that there was something going on. There was a scandal. There was a, a I don't want to say a corruption scandal, but somebody was being given a very sweetheart deal uh, in supplying the food for the chicken, uh, for the uh, sheriffs. Uh, coffee, some of the finest coffee known to man was being purchased uh, for the sheriffs. That was a big conflict that we had. Uh, but there was never an, an existential conflict about, uh, you know, you do you have the power to do this or do I have the power to do this? It was never a question uh, with Sherm or even with Lee Baca about, um, uh, you know, that fundamentally questioned the authority of, of, of the Board of Supervisors or tried to uh, to go around the, uh, the Board of Supervisors in implementing policies that were uh, corrupt uh, or illegal, mm -hmm. uh, as, as the mm -hmm. case has been. And that's where the current situation differs from uh, from uh, the Biscalouz era or the Pitches or the uh, the uh, uh, Sherm Block era or even the Lee Baca era. Although I will say, just uh, in the interest of being thorough on the history part, uh, the last few years of Lee Baca's uh, term in office uh, was a serious problem. Uh, the Sheriff's Department 
as we now know, uh, was engaged in some serious violations of constitutional policing in the county jails and beyond. Uh, there were a number of people who were indicted and convicted, including the sheriff himself, who is now serving uh, in a federal uh, detention center, uh, his, his undersheriff and a number of other people. So there was a, that, that was a very serious, probably the most serious scandal that the sheriff's department ever had. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and now, now we have the current situation. Um, right. So before we, before we get to there, um, I'd like to just ask, apart from the great chicken scandal that you yeah. mentioned, um, what was your sense while you were, uh, a supervisor and before and after about how well the units of the county work together in times of crisis, say in, uh, in the LA riots uprising and the Northridge earthquake, um, did uh, those crises occasion tensions um, between different units, now it seems autonomous units of county government, like we're seeing today. Never. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I, I, I spent almost 20 years to the city and 20 years to the county, both uh, levels of government, both of those uh, institutions uh, are at their best during a time of crisis, during a brush fire, during a flood, during an earthquake. Uh, we've had some better performances and some lesser performances over the years, but I would take the county and the city, but since my more recent place was the county, uh, I would take the county anytime in the middle of a crisis. And, and the beauty of it is that everybody put their departmental uh, monograms at the door and they all work together as a team. So in a brush fire, uh, the, it was the fire chief who was in charge. Uh, after all, he's trained uh, in, in fighting wildfires. And uh, in, 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 a, in a civil uprising, it would be the police chief or, or in the case of the county, the, the uh, sheriff who would be in charge. In the case of a pandemic or an epidemic, it would be the public health officer who would be uh, in charge. It, whoever is equipped uh, to uh, handle the issue at hand is the one that you defer to. That's the natural thing. That's the way you and I would do something. Uh, if I wanted to know something about uh, about history, I'd go to you. I wouldn't go to the microbiology professor to talk about it. And and that's the way we we dealt in in the county. Uh, what what? So over the course, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so over the course of your time, um, in moments of crisis or serious challenge. Um, city and county, mayor and supervisors, police chief and sheriff tended to uh, cooperate in a productive way. And how did, that, how did that work about? How did that work out? How did uh, the chain of command work out when you had to coordinate city and county responses to challenges or crises? So that's another issue, right? So first is the departments within the county and, and the emergency operations center, and which is the source of the controversy now but yeah. but uh, then there's the issue of city and county how do you how, how do we work together and it's not just the city of Los Angeles in the case of brush fires in the western part of the county or in the northern part of the county it's it's not just Los Angeles it's Calabasas it could be Santa Clarita it can be uh, Pasadena in the case of the San Gabriel fires uh, the way the way you deal with it is, uh, and th this is not something that just comes up at the last minute. These things are rehearsed. They they uh, they have exercises every year to uh, mimic a, uh, a. We used to when I was there have one for epidemics. Uh, we we had we certainly have one for earthquake. We have earthquake drills, and so John Wooden, our great basketball coach at UCLA, had a great a great line which I've quoted many times: "Practice doesn't make perfect." 
perfect practice makes perfect. And so they, they exercise these things so that when something happens, uh, they know what to do, to do. It's not the first time they've seen it. Uh, and so, and, and they do joint exercises. The city and the county will do joint exercises. And, and they, you know, the one great thing about emergencies and crises like this is that the people who are responsible for navigating the crisis are people who are trained uh, to put to put the public ahead of themselves. I mean, this is what they do. These are the people who go out and fight fires and stand in front of a flame to save your house or to save you. They're the people who put themselves between a guy with a gun to, to take a bullet for you as a citizen. These are people who are, are generally speaking, are selfless people who have dedicated their lives uh, for this purpose. So when that when there's a huge crisis arises, uh, they rise to the occasion. And I I, I don't think there's any metropolitan area in the United States, and I say this as objectively as I can, that is better trained and better equipped and has a better performance record than the public safety agencies of Southern California. They're the best. Uh, and they're the best because they see- So that is including county, including county and the various city units. Yeah, well, county and city of Los Angeles, they, they are the two major uh, institutions. Yeah. When it comes to fighting fires, uh, the county sees it all, right? They fight they fight structure fires and they fight fires of 50,000 acres or more like they did uh, a year ago with the Wolsey fire. Uh, the city doesn't fight as many wildfires anymore because it's been developed to its, you know, to its it, uh, outside boundaries, but but their their fire department is as good as it, as it gets as well. So you have these these great uh, public safety agencies and law enforcement too. I include them in the public safety, obviously. They are the best at what they do. And uh, so uh, in, in the public health business, now we're in a, in a pandemic situation, uh, there's less practice on that, right? That we've never seen anything that remotely compares to what we're going through now. Never, not in the history of the country. Uh, maybe the Civil War was a was a uh, this kind of an existential threat. And, and uh, so, there, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of uh, analysis done when this is all over uh, about what went right and what went wrong and you know, what can we learn from this? Because you can't, you can't practice for this. Uh, it, it's just, it's just so uh, un, uh, un, uh, it, it's so, the odds of something like this happening are so out there that uh, mm -hmm. that uh, you, you just you don't practice for that extreme kind of a case. I don't even think anybody could have dreamed of this. Some you know novels novelists do. Bill Gates did, but you know mm -hmm. when you think about what we're going through now, think about a public official who has to decide whether to shut the economy down, the economy yeah. of California down completely, uh, basically from what it, from a humming engine to zero. Uh, that's a big decision to make. Uh, now, they made the right decision, but uh, it's not an easy one to make. Right. So here we are now. Um, we've explored a little bit of the then. We, we now find ourselves in a situation where the supervisors and the sheriff are at odds over who is in charge of the Emergency Operations Center. Yes. Can you help us understand why this conflict yeah. arose? It's, it's actually quite simple. And uh, it's unfortunate that this has surfaced at this particular time. I don't think that was the Board of Supervisors' intent. I know it wasn't. Uh, they have. Uh, it started when, when this new sheriff, uh, uh, Alex Villanueva, came, uh, came to office. Uh, and the first thing he did, well, let me back up. Uh, after the scandal in the sheriff's department over policing in the jails, where 
there was a conspiracy to uh, keep the FBI out from investigating physical abuses against not only inmates, but people uh, who were monitors of the jail, clergy who came in to see, to, to monitor what was going on in the jail. They were beaten up by officers. It was a, it was a huge scandal, huge enough that it brought the FBI and the U.S. Justice Department in. As a result of that, I was deeply involved in this. Uh, I, I, I set up, I got the, the, the board set up, but I, I asked the board to do this, uh, to, to set up a blue ribbon commission on jail violence. And they did. It was a very, uh, highly, uh, 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 impressive group of people, jurists, community people uh, who, who had experience in this, in this field. And they, they put together over 100 recommendations to, of how to restore community policing, uh, constitutional policing, not only in the jails, but in the communities themselves. It's, it's equivalent to the Christopher Commission report that the city did after the Rodney King uh, 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 beating. Uh, so we elected a new sheriff. Uh, after Baca resigned. Uh, his name was Jim McDonald. Jim was actually the chief of police of Long Beach, and he was on the Blue Ribbon Commission. And he was elected sheriff in, in uh, 2014, and uh, 2014, yes. And, and then he, uh, he implemented, he, it was his mission when he came in to implement these reforms, which he was a part of developing as part of that Blue Ribbon group. Uh, and it was very controversial within the department. The sheriff's union didn't like it. Uh, some of the bureaucrats, the civil servants in the sheriff's department didn't like it. It was an attack on their job performance. They, they viewed that it was, and it was. But he did it. And uh, most of the recommendations got implemented. A lot of deputy sheriffs and others were fired, uh, were disciplined, uh, et cetera. Along comes uh, the election of 2018, when Jim McDonald was up for re-election, and uh, Alex Villanueva, uh, who is a, uh, a, I believe he was a retired uh, uh, lieutenant, I think he reached the, the, the uh, rank of lieutenant in the sheriff's department, uh, runs for office, uh, and through a quirk of, uh, you know, a perfect storm, uh, he, he gets elected uh, to, uh, to the sheriff. He defeats the incumbent. He defeats the incumbent, Jim McDonald. Now, when he ran, uh, he ran on the platform that he was not going to cooperate with ICE. He campaigned to the Latino community. That we were not going to cooperate with ICE on immigration enforcement. Uh, he campaigned to Democrats. To the, he got the Democratic Party endorsement because Jim was not a Democrat. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to reform the jails. Uh, we're going to do it right. And all of these, and he wins. He wins because there was a heavy Latino turnout, which helped him. Uh, it was a the Democratic Party endorsement helped him. And, uh, and, and he wins. The first thing he does when he becomes sheriff is he starts reinstating people who had been fired for some very serious offenses. And uh, the Board of Supervisors, which has responsibility for paying the bills when somebody, when some county employee, including a sheriff, gets sued, and a court says uh, county was wrong, sheriff was wrong, you know, the $2 million verdict, it's not the sheriff who has to take out his wallet or out of his budget, what, that $2 million judgment. It's the Board of Supervisors that has to find the money in the, in the general fund. And the board was very upset about what he was doing. Uh, all of them, all five of them, including Catherine Barger, who's now the chair of the board, a Republican, a very moderate Republican, whose husband either is or was a deputy sheriff. He may be retired now. Uh, and, and they were all offended, not, not just offended, but outraged by this because we went through all of this, the implementation of the Blue Ribbon Commission report, the recommendations. Uh, it was designed to avert this kind of a scandal in the future. And here comes a guy who, who actually made the statement 
<laughs> that uh, that the Blue Ribbon Commission report uh, was a, a social experiment gone bad. That, those were the, the words he used. Well, the social experiment he was referring to uh, is called the United States Constitution. I wrote an op-ed piece for the LA Times about a year ago where I said, if he can't, if he can't uphold his oath, uh, he either upholds his oath or he ought to get out of the way. Because uh, to, to call this, to call, uh, call it a social experiment to stop beatings of, of inmates, uh, to stop beatings of, of uh, clergy who come in to observe the, the jails is, 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 is anathema to everything we stand for. And that's, that's the source of the problem that we have between the board and the sheriff now. It's, it, if this had been the only issue uh, which, which actually started in the Woolsey fire, where the board took a look at the emergency operation board and said, you know, this doesn't make sense. Uh, the sheriff shouldn't be in charge of, 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 of the Woolsey fire, and, and the fire chief shouldn't be in charge of a pandemic, and, and the public health officer shouldn't be in charge when there's a civil unrest. Uh, there ought to be one centralized person, and, and that, that was one of the things that came out of the uh, the uh, after uh, after analysis of the Woolsey fire. The Woolsey fire was the one out in the western part of the county, Agoura Hills and Calabasas, 50, 60,000 acres, the worst fire we've ever had in the county of Los Angeles. A thousand structures and homes were burned. Uh, it was a terrible fire in November of 2018. And so the, they, did, they did a deep dive. What went right and what went wrong? It was an appropriate thing to do. And one of the things they looked at was should the emergency operation board be reconstituted? And should the chair be somebody more central who's accountable uh, or to whom all of the departments are accountable? And, uh, and they decided that that person should be the chief administrator or chief executive officer of the county, which I think is the right thing to do. Uh, historically, the sheriff was the chairman of that board because, frankly, because he was. And it, it started that way whenever they created the board. They probably made him the chairman of the board because he was the only public safety person who was elected countywide. And uh, it, it made, you know, it, it made sense. Why not so, put the sheriff in charge? Can but, we take a step back? Sure. And can you just trace a little bit of the history of emergency operations and how they were structured um, uh, at the county level? Yeah. Who was on the board? Um, was it always the case that the sheriff was the uh, chair of that board? Yeah. Um, and how was the performance of the board and its chair over the course of various crises? Yeah. So, good question. Uh, as far as I know, the, the sheriff has always been the chairman of the emergency operations board. I don't know how far back the, the uh, EOB goes, but it certainly predates me. The city of Los Angeles also has an emergency operation board, and I think, I think the mayor... Uh, is is uh, nominally uh, the chair of that of that body. Uh, it's it's not the police chief, as far as I know. But in any case, uh, in the county, it was the sheriff. Uh, the people who are on the board, or every department you can imagine, would be uh, 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 have a stake in what's going on. So in a brush fire, it's it's the fire chief, it's the sheriff's department, it's uh, the health department because you have health issues with smoke and and uh, hospitals because you may have injuries and you have to bring so you have you have to have the health department there uh children's services animal regulation believe it or not animal regulation is a huge deal in a in a brush fire i use that as an example because it's the one that happens most often when you have a fire out in the in the wildlands you have horses people are allowed to keep horses there so the first thing we do is we tell people don't go back to your home where the fire is because we're trying to get your horses out 
And so you have animal regulation people risking their lives to save animals, and they do. Uh, so that's another group that's on the on the on the uh, EOB. And so every department you can think of uh, that would have a stake in in some upheaval in town uh, during an emergency uh, is at the table. And we have an emergency operations center. It's on Eastern Avenue uh, in, in East Los Angeles. Um, it's a it's a huge complex. Uh, it's 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 a bunker, if you will. The city bunker is four stories under the. It used to be, I think they moved it, but it used to be four stories under City Hall East. Uh, they said it was uh, deep enough to withstand a nuclear attack. So you get the idea of what these mm -hmm. these boards were all about. It, it was prepared for the for the big emergencies, and that's and, and that's what you need. You, you basically have a a, a, a government in waiting. Uh, for a disaster, and when the disaster occurs, they they all congregate in the emergency operations center, and they're in communication with one another. They they make decisions on deployment. They make decision on strategy and on tactics. Um, for example, in a in a wildfire, uh, I was involved in this when I was a, a supervisor on multiple occasions. The fire chief has to make a decision: do do we uh, do we call in? Uh, uh, reinforcements from other jurisdictions around the state, which frequently happens during fires. Uh, do we do we ask the state to send us uh, the mutual aid, mutual assistance, fire departments from Northern and Central California, or not? Do I do I put everybody on overtime or not? I remember sitting with uh, the former fire chief Michael Freeman, uh, and he was he was debating whether whether to deploy more people because the financial impact was going to be substantial to the county. And I said, Mike, <laughs> don't worry about the money. We'll find the money. You worry about the, the fire. Of course, he did the right thing, uh, and uh, he, he was he was just venting with me. But uh, uh, those are the kinds of decisions that get run up the flagpole when you have to make a decision. It goes to the emergency board. And, uh, and and that's that's the group that uh, that is the subject of this uh, controversy. Right, right. So to go back to the present episode, um, is it your sense that the supervisor's de decision to remove Sheriff Villanueva as, as head of the EOB was a function of their lack of confidence in his job performance, or part of a larger structural uh, change um, where they said, you know, we think that the CAO of the of the county should stand at the head because yeah. He or she has the best yeah, opportunity I, to see the widest possible array of uh, events. I think I think the answer to that is it's both. And and uh, now I'm not at the board, so I don't I'm not privy to the uh, inner sanctum conversations they have. But I've been there long enough to I, I think I know what's going on. Here's what's going on: If the sheriff, the new sheriff, had come into the to office and not tried to reverse the recommendations and the execution of the Blue Ribbon Commission on Jail Violence, I think it would have been a totally different ball game. We, we can live with the sheriff as chairman because a, a decent sheriff, an intelligent sheriff, somebody who's a team player in a crisis would know enough in a public health uh, crisis or in a fire crisis to defer to the public health officer or to the fire chief. He wouldn't have a big enough ego, such a big ego that he thinks he knows better than the person who really does know better. Uh, and I think the, the board, I know that the board has lost confidence in the in the uh, in the sheriff from a very early point in, his, in, the, in the first few months of his term of office in 2019, and then when they did an evaluation, uh, an after incident analysis, if you will, after the Woolsey fire, which as I repeat was the worst fire in the history of the county, uh, in history, uh, 
when they did the after incident analysis, they realized uh, that there was a lack of communication, uh, that the emergency operation board could have functioned better. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to look back, and as historians, right, we all always uh, try to account for, look at it from everybody's point of view. Uh, when the Woolsey fire started, there was another fire going on in California. It was the Paradise Fire up up north of Sacramento, and uh, mm -hmm. some of our firefighters were up there on mutual aid, uh, and uh, and it was a terrible fire. It was it destroyed an entire town uh, in in Northern California. Uh, our our department was not prepared uh, to respond to a major fire that we ultimately had. And so they did this analysis. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the things in a, in a wildfire in Southern California is when it breaks out, you respond with overwhelming force and try to stop it before it gets any momentum. We didn't do that in this fire. It was obvious to me sitting and watching it on television uh, that uh, something went haywire. So one of the things that the board has decided, and it's not just the board, the board didn't do the individually do the deep dive. It was the chief administrative, chief executive officer of the various departments, the bureaucracy, the deep state, if you will, at the county, uh, decided to take a look at this. And they made some recommendations. And one of the recommendations they made is that, you know, it would be better for the county uh, if the chairman of the EOB, of the, uh, the Emergency Operations Board, would be the chief administrator, the chief executive officer. We used to call it the chief administrative officer, which is why I keep making that mm -hmm. mistake. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and it does make sense. Uh, and if you have more confidence in your chief executive officer institutionally uh, than you do in any other department head, uh, then that's what you ought to do. And and the Woolsey fire is what's what prompted this. But I will tell you in answer to your question, what I uh, that you asked, if if it hadn't have been for Villanueva's behavior in his first few months in office and ever since that uh, undermined the board's confidence in him, they probably wouldn't have made the switch. Mm -hmm. But because they have no confidence in him and mm -hmm. the bureaucracy says, you know, we'd be better off with the switch, uh, it, it was a perfect storm. And uh, will it make, it's not going to affect the response to the uh, uh, to the pandemic. I mean, I, th I think it's, I think the board itself realizes that the timing of this coming to the board couldn't have been worse from an optics point of view, but this was something that was in the in the hopper uh, in the works long before the pandemic even hit in China. So this is this is unrelated to this, uh, but there there is not going to be any uh, diminution of response. Uh, everybody is working as a team, uh, and and uh, you know that you know it, it's it's a it's a somewhat. Uh, the whole thing is political with a lowercase p, and because of Villanueva, it's kind of a uppercase p. But it's um, it would not have happened if if this had been Sherman Block, we would not have removed Sherman Block as the chairman of the EOB. If it had been Lee Baca, mm -hmm. doubtfully we would have done that either before before the big scandal. But now, you know, they don't have confidence in the guy, uh, and and I don't know how he's behaving uh, in in the inner sanctum these days. I don't know whether he whether he's saying to people, you know, I think we, well, you know what happened with the, with the gun stores, he shut down uh, the gun stores. Uh, now, whether you're a pro gun person or an anti gun person is not the point in this, in this uh, story, but uh, Sheriff Villanueva made the decision. He's going to shut down all the gun stores because they were not essential businesses in, in Los Angeles County, only essential businesses, grocery stores, pharmacies, et cetera, were, were allowed to remain open. Everybody else had to shut down. And he, he decided that uh, unilaterally that the uh, gun stores were not essential businesses and you shut them down. 
Then the county council, uh, who is totally apolitical uh, on, on issues like this, said, no, you can't do that. Uh, you know, the, that. The law does not permit you to do that for whatever the reason. And he then reinstated the, uh, uh, he rescinded his edict on the gun stores and allowed them to remain open. And he has flip-flopped on that now three times. <laughs> so you can understand why the board- And the council's was, decision was based on the fact that the stores were essential or the sheriff did not have the authority to shut them down? Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's the former that, that, it, that it was yeah. essential. And uh, I'm not sure, I could be wrong on that, but whatever the case, he rescinded it. Then the governor was asked about it and the governor said, well, I defer to the sheriffs of all the 58 counties. So then he reinstated the ban and then he was forced to rescind it again. It was, if you're a gun, if you're a gun owner uh, or a, a gun shop owner or a gun aficionado, uh, you can imagine what this, what this looked like to them. Now, here's what happened, and this is the public policy uh, side of it. When he closed it, he closed the gun stores and then was forced to reopen. All the people who were fantasizing about owning a gun in this environment of the pandemic decided, well, if I'm gonna get a gun, I better get it now before they shut it down again. So the lines around the, the block at every gun store in Los Angeles County, uh, it was a sight to be uh, to be Even greater than that for toilet paper and paper towels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you can see if you're a if you're a county supervisor and and the, you know these are five different people who have uh, a considerable uh, resume, political resume going back uh, in some cases decades. Catherine Barger was chief deputy deputy to a county supervisor, and and I've known her for twenty five or thirty years. Uh, you know, she she knows where all the bodies are buried. Uh, Mark Ridley Thomas has been around a long time. Sheila Kuehl has been around there a long time. Janice Hahn, et cetera, uh, and, mm -hmm. and Hilda Solis, a former cabinet officer in the United States government in the Obama administration. These are not mm -hmm. shrinking violets. Mm -hmm. They look at this and they say. Hey, this is this is screwy. You uh, th this makes this is not this does not inspire confidence in a time of crisis, and uh, but you know it it, it and, and it's going to change. I mean, they're going to make that change. They're committed to doing so. And uh, but again, I say if if it hadn't have been for if it had been somebody other than Villanueva. Uh, it probably, probably wouldn't have happened, but it's not because they're out to get Villanueva. This is not a, they're not on a jihad against uh, uh, Alex Villanueva. They're, they're on a, on a mission uh, to have normalcy and fidelity to the, to the oath of office that, that we all take to, we swear to uphold, to, to protect and defend the constitution of the United States and the state of California. Now we take that oath almost uh, you know, by rote, but when you stop and, and think about it, uh, you know, the constitution is designed to protect the minority, not the, not the majority. Uh, the majority can pretty much take care of their, themselves, our, our founders uh, determined, but the constitution, especially the bill of rights is designed to protect the people from the tyranny of the majority. And so when you are called upon in a crunch to uphold the constitution, it's usually going against the majority. And so it's tough. It takes some political courage to do that. And it took a lot of courage for Jim McDonald to implement the, the uh, reforms in the jail. It took some courage for Lee Baca, who I convinced to support the Blue Ribbon Commission when he was still in office and recognize that, you know, whatever happens to him, uh, at least let's do the right thing and try to get this organization back on the right track. It takes guts. 
and uh, and the board is exhibiting some guts here. They they know that that uh, you know getting into a into a confrontation with the sheriff. Uh, you know, that, that old line from Man of La Mancha, whether the stone hits the pitcher or the pitcher hits the stone, it's going to be bad for the pitcher. And uh, the, the board could easily be the pitcher in this situation. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, but they're doing the right thing. And it, the timing right. could have been better, but, uh, I, you know, we, we all understand the long view. So uh, I, I, I hope and expect that we're going to have the opportunity to download some more of your vast experience in thinking about uh, the operations of government um, at the city and county level. And uh, in a future episode, I hope we can talk about uh, the very board of supervisors on which you served, um, which is um, you know, one of the most powerful and least known and maybe even least regulated uh, bodies of governance in the United States. Um, so I hope we can talk about that um, in a future episode. But I'd like to conclude just by asking you about what we began with, which is um, these kind of islands of autonomy that you described, whereby the Constitution mandates uh, a board of supervisors, but also an elected sheriff. And um, as we wrap up this episode, I want you just to reflect on whether you think that system still works or whether the office of the sheriff should be wrapped into the, uh, the existing structure of the county board of supervisors so i will answer that question directly but i want to preface it with a story uh, and it's a great story uh, back in 1983 queen elizabeth came uh queen elizabeth of england came to los angeles on a on an official visit with her husband the duke of edinburgh prince philip and there was a big reception at the music center for her hundreds and hundreds of people were there and they're all fawning over the queen they wanted a picture with the queen and I was a councilman at the time, and I noticed that uh, uh, Prince Philip was alone in, in a corner of the, of the Grand Hall of the Music Center. Nobody was paying any attention to him. Now, having gotten my master's in the history department in British imperial history, I saw this as a golden opportunity to have a chat with the, with the Duke of Edinburgh, right? So I take a couple of my colleagues, and we go over to Prince Philip, and we introduce ourselves. I'm Councilman Yaroslavsky. This is Councilman Wax, Councilman Bernstein, et cetera. And Prince Philip then looked over his glasses and he says, he says I, I don't understand the system of your government. I said, I've, I've met the mayor and I know who he is. And I've met the supervisors, though I don't know what they supervise. And now I've met you councillors. I, I don't understand the system of your government. So we gave him a two-minute tutorial in the state-local government relationship, 58 counties, Los Angeles is the biggest county, 88 cities, et cetera. We have special districts, flood control, school districts, mosquito abatement districts. And he then peers over his glasses and he says, I think I now understand the genius of your system. And I said, really, what is it? It's designed not to govern. And that is true. Uh, he didn't realize it, uh, but that is exactly what it was designed to do. It was designed to, uh, not so much not to govern, but not to govern the way this state was governed before 1912, uh, when the reformers amended the state constitution uh, to, to decentralize government in California, to provide for a referendum uh, uh, where people could petition to override a piece of corrupt legislation or any legislation, where they allowed for a recall of elected officials, where they allowed, uh, provided a, a system by which citizens could, could uh, initiate legislation themselves uh, through the initiative process. Uh, this was all done in 1911-12 because the railroads and some other corporate special interests basically owned and operated the state legislature. And so what they did was they, they broke up the, the, the concentration of power. They didn't want any one uh, venue, if you will, one uh, center of power to, 
to have all of the power of local government uh, concentrated within it like it is in New York City, for example. So you, you had a city and you had a county. County dealt with human services. The city dealt with municipal cities, dealt with municipal services. Uh, you had school districts that were not part of either the city or the county, so, and, and they were separate. And, and so Prince Philip was right. It was kind of designed not, not to govern, at least not to govern the way things were. Now, uh, the question you ask is uh, more directly is, is, is the elected sheriff an anachronism? Uh, in, in my opinion, uh, it is. Uh, but I don't think you will ever see the voters of, of the state that would require a state constitutional amendment to remove the requirement that the sheriff be uh, elected. I don't think they would ever unelect them, whether it's rational or not. I, I can tell you one of my axiom is the voters will never vote to add more elected officials, and they will never vote to remove uh, you know, institutionally and remove the number of elected officials. And they won't do that with the sheriff. It's just, uh, it's just po a political uh, non-starter. But if you did, you'd have, if you wanted to do that, you'd have to amend the state constitution. And then you'd have to amend the county charter as well. Now, most cities, the charter cities like the city of Los Angeles have an appointed police chief, uh, could be either a civil servant or the, you know, some hybrid of that like we have in Los Angeles. Uh, should this should the county board of, should the county of Los Angeles or all the counties of California have um, an appointed sheriff? Uh, yeah, you know I think there's an argument to be made for it. I think there's a better argument to be made for having an appointed county assessor who's still an elected office holder. But you know before Prop 13, the county assessor had tremendous discretion about how to value your property and how much you were going to pay for property taxes, and you know not just you as a homeowner but a corporation. It was a subject to a lot of corruption in those days. Today, it's more, you, know, you, you want to hire an appraiser to be the, uh, the, the county assessor as a civil servant. So there's, there's something to be said for that. And uh, in the district attorney, you know, somebody could make an argument that that's, you know, in this day and age, that's an anachronism to have an elected official, but they're, they're not going anywhere. But here's what's happened, David, in the last few years. Um, just as I was leaving office, there was a proposal made to create an oversight commission uh, for uh, to oversee the sheriff's department, a citizens oversight commission. Um, I didn't support it at the time uh, because I not because I'm not in favor of civilian oversight. I am. I, I was uh, I was opposed to it because it had no power. It, it would it would just be a uh, a soapbox for people, and and it, with without the commissions of having the ability to do anything about it. So the board, the new board, did. Uh, the next you know, rectified that problem. They put a measure on the ballot. Actually, it was initiated by citizens, uh, and the board uh, put it on the ballot uh, to give the oversight commission subpoena power, uh, which gave them the power to, especially when it came to uh, bad apples in you know bad bad cops, as we call them, uh, who who have a history of uh, of excessive use of force or what have you, and it passed. In, uh, in March, just this last March, it passed with 72% of the vote, which uh, has, has the potential of fundamentally changing the way this sheriff's department uh, operates, uh, because now they are going to be held accountable with legal authority that this oversight commission has uh, to subpoena documents, to subpoena the sheriff to come testify, because sometimes this sheriff doesn't like to come to testify himself. So there, there is some added uh, accountability and, uh, and and transparency that is that is coming to this sheriff's department. We'll see how it goes. It's an experiment, and I, I'm all for experiments if they're 
if they're not quixotic. And this is not quixotic once you give the commission, the oversight commission, some real power, which they now have. So uh, we'll see. Um, we shall see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, we'll be back in touch with you to talk about all sorts of important issues of the day. And thank you for sharing with us your unique insights into the function of county government, especially in this time of great challenge. Um, I would like to say thanks to Xavier Slavsky, our guest for the inaugural episode of Then and Now, sponsored by the UCLA Luskin Center for History and Policy. Thank you very much, Zev. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week on Then and Now. Then and Now is brought to you by the UCLA Luskin Center for History and Policy, where we study change to make change. For more on our work, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at our handle, at Luskin History. Our show is produced by Maya Ferdman and David Myers, with original music by Daniel Reichman. Special thanks to the UCLA History Department for its support, and thanks to you for listening.